Welcome to this week's podcast of a gospel message and a sermon for Trinity Sunday. Now we're looking at Rublev's icon of the Trinity, so you might want to just look up an image of that um, on the internet to accompany listening to the podcast. Enjoy. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the Gospel of the Lord. We're going to be a bit meditative this morning. Um, So we're going to look at this icon of the Trinity by Rublev. So it's nice if you you haven't got it to get one uh, that you can look at or at least look over someone's shoulder. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, draw us into the love, into the life of the Trinity. Amen. So, Trinity Sunday. What a difficult knot for a preacher to untie. Where can I go with this? Well, I'm going to skip the metaphors that you probably know and cut to the chase with my red stole as a sort of a start. So on here, you'll see that um, quite a big feature of the Celtic life was the the knot. So there's a Celtic knot there. And um, you can perhaps have a look at it later if you can't quite see it at the back. But the knot obviously is in three, but it's continuous. So it was seen as eternal by the Celtic Christians and as a symbol of God. And on this is also a cross, but also you can see the flames going up, which is the fire of the Holy Spirit. So there is a bit of a metaphor there, the three in one Celtic knot. And then here um, is, if you like, the the result of that fire of love that comes from the Holy Spirit and the Trinity, which is mission. So there's a coracle, there's a paddle there. And the coracle was the um, very rough and ready sea vessel uh, that would just take one or two people So the idea was that, impelled by the Holy Spirit, uh, the Celtic Christians would set out in a coracle, maybe just one or two on their own, and they would let the wind drive them to wherever they would go. And on that place where they landed, that was where they would carry out their mission. Incredibly brave and courageous and amazing. You can see the clouds and, again, the Spirit going up from that cross there. And so that love of the Trinity... um, was about sacrifice and, uh, and welcoming and reaching out to others. And so they had three kinds of witness in the Celtic tradition. Uh, martyr means witness. So 
You've got white, the white witness, the white martyrdom, which is go out on the coracle over the white, foamy waves of the sea and let that take you where it will. You had the red, which of course is, is blood, uh, persecution, and the green, which is to go to the forest or the mountains and live the life of a hermit in prayer and to give counsel and pray for the world. Um, now, um, with the Trinity, all these images kind of break down because with the Celtic knot, you have got the three, you know, the three twists of the knot are, are form one. But with the Trinity, it's slightly different because if any part of the image isn't complete in itself as the whole, if any part is not also the whole thing, then it's not representative of the Trinity. The God of the Bible is one God, but he exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And each person in the Trinity is fully God and fully a person. They're equally eternal, powerful, sovereign, and worthy of worship. But they are one God. So they're not like a family, if you like, mother, father, son, or child. Uh, because in a, in, a, in a family, each member of the family, the father, the mother, the child, would also have to be completely the whole family. So the Trinity is really a very wonderful mystery. But if your eyes have glazed over at this point, don't worry about it, because there is another way. So rather than try to understand the Trinity by thinking, intellectually, I'd like to suggest we try a different approach. What approach is that, I hear you ask? Gazing, gazing. The spiritual writer Henri Nouwen said that gazing is probably the best word to touch the core of Eastern Christian spirituality. Unlike here in the West where we focus on listening and the word, we have lots of readings, don't we? Spoken prayers, hymns with words. The Eastern approach is art. The Russian mystics taught that... Uh, Prayer was descending from the mind into the heart and there, in the presence of God, to gaze on him with the heart. And so they would use icons to help them focus and undertake that kind of contemplative prayer. So we might get to a, a knowing of the Trinity by gazing, not by thinking and rationalizing. Much like when we fall in love, we love the face of the beloved. In their face and in their eyes, we see their beauty and we're captivated by it. Now, the Russian artist Andrew Rublev painted this icon of the Trinity. Um, and icons aren't immediately easy to get into. They're painted kind of two-dimensionally to begin with. So we need to persevere a bit. We need to gaze. So if we look at this icon... We see the son wearing a blue cloak in the middle of the altar table, if you like, and he's pointing towards the chalice containing his blood, which is red. And behind him is the tree of life and the spiritual mountain that we ascend through prayer and worship. And on the right, the Holy Spirit in blue is holding a very thin staff of equal authority 
to God the Father who's opposite and the Spirit who is pointing at the white table. And the Father sits, if you see, with the house of Abraham behind, the house of God, heaven if you like. For this painting echoes the story of the three angels visiting Abraham and Sarah at Mamre. And the way the three are sitting, if you notice, they're sitting in such a way that the table is open in front. An open invitation to the beholder, to us who are looking at it. A space at the table to join this holy and intimate communion. A communication of love between the Godhead. An invitation, in fact, to hospitality, to join that meal that they're sharing. The heavenly banquet that Jesus promises in what no one calls the house of love. The house of love. And that reminds me, did you know that Bethlehem, where Jesus the Son was born, in Hebrew is Bet-Lehem, and it means house of bread. Jesus, the bread of life, the bread of heaven, was born in the house of bread, given to us from the house of bread. And we receive him in communion in the form of bread. Now, the powers and principalities control many of our daily images, don't they? The images which enter our thought life. TV, posters, videos, media, the papers, shop windows, continually assault us with, um, with uh, material things, fear, lust, and avarice for those things, draining our energy. And so to live a spiritual life, which we're called to, means to take conscious steps to safeguard our inner space, to guard, in fact, our hearts, where we can keep our eyes continually fixed on the beauty and truth of God. And so as we gaze in on the Trinity, you might sense, looking at that picture, that we're being invited to dwell with the Trinity in the house of love. We're being invited to come from the house of fear, where we dwell much of the time, into the house of love. And if we've been dwelling with those images, the anxiety, the stress, the toxic sinfulness of the powers that be, who rule that house with hatred and violence, then the invitation is to move, guided by the spirit of truth, from that house of fear to the house of love, and to dwell there instead. That's our true home. Heaven begins on earth. Now, when I was 18, I hitchhiked on my own down to the south of France to a place of pilgrimage called Lourdes. And, and it was probably a stupid thing to do, actually. Um, it was an intensely lonely experience. I was just stealth camping. I even slept under a truck one of the days. Um, when I arrived, I went into this underground basilica where there were perhaps a thousand people in the middle of a service. And um, they were gathered in their groups. 
And I was an outsider coming in. I was a teenager, I was tired, I was hungry, I was lonely, and they were all focused on their worship together. And suddenly, and I didn't know what to do or where to go as I was arriving there, and suddenly a young man came out of one of the groups. He stopped in front of me, and he gazed briefly at my face. And then he hugged me. And it was one of the most beautiful experiences of welcome and hospitality in my life. The young man had Down syndrome, but he also had the love of the Trinity, and he welcomed me at that moment of need to join the altar table of God in the house of love. Now, no one wrote about this icon. Um, He said, during a hard period of my life in which verbal prayer became nearly impossible and during which mental and emotional fatigue had made me the easy victim of feelings of despair and fear. A long and quiet presence in the company of this icon became the beginning of my healing. As I sat in front of Rublev's Trinity, I noticed how gradually my gaze became a prayer. This silent prayer slowly made my inner restlessness melt away and lifted me up into the circle of love, a circle that could not be broken by the powers of the world. And even as I moved away from the icon and became involved in the many tasks of everyday life, I felt as if I did not have to leave that holy place I had found and could dwell there whatever I did or wherever I went. I knew that the house of love I had entered has no boundaries and embraces everyone who wants to dwell there. And Romans 5 tells us how to move from the house of fear to the house of love, where we can dwell with the Trinity. So it says, Therefore, since we are justified by faith, justified by faith, we're loved unconditionally, and we simply have to believe We don't have to earn that grace. We have peace with God. Peace. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we've obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we can go further. We can boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, we know that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. This is the Holy Spirit who will guide us into all truth that Jesus promises. And so fears will always attack us from all sides. But when we remain at home in God, Centered on the love of the Trinity, taking part in that loving communication. These worldly fears have no final power over us. And we can even have the power to reach out and invite others too to join us in the home of God at that altar table. Jesus said it so clearly. He said, in the world you will have trouble, but be brave. I have conquered the world. 